Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu and happy Mother's Day. The topic today is arguably one of the most important aspects of being a follower of Christ. And it's been especially important in this past year as we've dealt with the pandemic. Hi, I'm Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here at First Pres. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. How can we ever say thank you to our moms and the mothers in our life? We are so grateful to God for all the ways you have invested yourselves in us and in our families. Today I'm going to build on Jeff's sermon from last Sunday as we continue to preach our way through the passages we find in the daily lectionary. If you'd like to read along with us, there's a link on the screen that will take you to a list of scriptures that we're using during this sermon series. So before I begin, would you please pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for inviting us to be in your presence. Thank you for being with us. And we pray that you would be our teacher today. Speak to us. Lord, we are listening for your voice, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I was recently talking with a good friend of mine, one of the three guys that I meet with almost every month. Dave, Steve, Mike, and I were all roommates at one point during our college careers. All four of us are now, and have been for a long time, Presbyterian pastors. What are the chances of that ever happening? That is the unmistakable hand of God at work. The four of us have been walking through life together since we were housemates at the University of California at Santa Barbara. We lived in Isla Vista, which is the neighborhood next to the University of California, where more than 15,000 university students live. It's remarkable to me that God led us together and called us to be pastors from a place as wild and crazy as Isla Vista. UCSB is often ranked in the top three to five party schools in California. In one ranking of the top party schools in the state, the only school higher than UCSB was USC, the alma mater of our beloved senior party animal, Danchun. I recommitted my life to Christ while I was a student at UCSB. I had been raised in a Christian home, but had drifted away from God in high school. By the time I got to college, I was not in good shape spiritually or emotionally. I didn't know who I was. I was completely confused about what I should do with my life. I was making a number of bad choices on a regular basis. I had basically lost my way. After a protracted illness, my dad had died the fall of my senior year of high school. The last years of his life were turbulent ones for my father and for our family. I think part of the reason I ended up in Santa Barbara was because I was running away from home. I soon discovered that you can't run away from yourself. If you'd looked at me in high school, I think it might have been difficult to tell that underneath the image I worked hard to project that there was a lot going on. I was a hurting guy. When I got to Santa Barbara, I lived next door to a group of guys, most of whom were Christians. We began to hang out. I remember the day that Mike and I were playing tennis. Halfway through the match, it was obvious to Mike and to me that I was not on my game. At one point, Mike stopped the match and we walked to the net. 
As we stood there, he asked me a question that I could not remember being asked in a very long time. He simply asked me, what's up? Are you doing okay? That simple question began to open a world I did not know really could exist. Mike said, you seem distracted. It seems like something's on your mind. He was right about that, but I did not have the thoughts that could explain my emotions at that moment. I somehow acknowledged that I was indeed having a hard time. I don't think I used words to convey that to Mike. I think my body language was all that Mike needed to know that his observations had been correct. And then he said this to me, hey, if you ever want to talk with someone about what's going on, I'd be happy to talk with you. We all have a lot going on, and I just want you to know that if you want someone to talk to, I'd be happy to listen. I'm sure someone had said that to me in the past, but at that point, I could not remember the last time an invitation like that had been offered to me. What I began to discover that afternoon on a tennis court at UC Santa Barbara was friendship, real friendship. Over the decades, these three friends and I have celebrated great moments of joy in each other's lives, and we have supported one another through some seemingly impossible difficulties and devastating disappointments. It is quite a remarkable experience to know that I am a part of a group of brothers who know one another deeply and are committed to one another no matter what. It has been one of the greatest gifts of my life to know these guys. As I was talking with Mike recently, he told me about some of the things he's been discovering about following Jesus. He summed up what he's been working on in this season of his life with a quote from Dallas Willard. If you don't know Dallas Willard, you should know Dallas Willard. He was one of the great Christian philosophers of our time. And Dallas once said, he said this amazing sentence, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. That whole sentence gave me a lot to think about. As we talked, I said to Mike, would you say that sentence once again? You must order your life so that you are experiencing contentment, so you are experiencing joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. The word that caught my attention the most was the word confidence. We are to order our days so that we might experience confidence in our everyday life with God. Confidence. Confidence is the feeling or belief that I can rely on someone or something. Confidence is the state of feeling certain about the truth of something. Confidence comes from the Latin word confidere. I think, I have no idea how they say that in Latin. And that word means to have full trust. We are to order our days so that we might experience confidence in our everyday life with God. I can see in Mike's life that he is indeed experiencing greater contentment, more joy, and a settled confidence. It's a confidence that's not arrogant. It's a confidence that comes from a deep sense of being secure and settled. 
Confidence is not about feeling superior to others. Confident people are people who feel secure rather than insecure. And as I talked with Mike, I knew that I wanted to experience more of what he was experiencing. The Dallas Willard quote that Mike shared with me comes from a book called Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You by John Ortberg. And John begins that book by telling a story that illustrates the importance of caring for our souls. There is a direct connection between how we need to order our lives and caring for our souls. And friendship is at the heart of a healthy soul. I'd like to read the story John Orberg used for the prologue to his book on soul keeping. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches, and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The point of this whole story? The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Well, we could spend a lot of time talking about exactly what we mean when we talk about the soul. But for today's discussion, let's use this definition. The soul is what integrates all aspects of our lives and makes us a person. When we're connected with God and other people, we tend to have a healthy or healthier soul.
When you think about being the keeper of your soul, what thoughts, what challenges, what feelings come to mind? How well equipped do you feel to be the keeper of your soul? Is there so much debris clogging your soul right now that you don't know where to begin, even if you wanted to take better care of it? Are the waters of your soul stagnant because of neglect? If that's how you're feeling today, I have hope for all of us. And that hope grows out of what Jesus says to his first disciples in John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. Earlier in the 15th chapter, Jesus talked about abiding in him. He is the vine, and we are the branches. He reminds his first followers that we must be connected to him to experience life as God intended it to be. Because, as Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. So what we need most of all when we think about keeping our soul strong and healthy is to make our home with Jesus, to abide in him, the source of life. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say, starting in verse 9 of chapter 15 of the Gospel according to John. What Jesus says here is absolutely incredible. If you are a follower of Jesus, the statement I'm about to read should blow your mind and your heart wide open. Here it is. You might want to sit down if you're not already sitting down. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Right now, I could wrap up this talk and send you into the week to just meditate on that one sentence. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so have I loved you. That is an astounding statement. But there's more. Jesus goes on, Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants us to be filled with his joy. He's interested in our joy. We're not talking about happiness. Happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy is much deeper. Now here's the command Jesus has in mind that he wants us to keep. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's at the heart of who God wants us to be. That's exactly what Jeff Page talked about last week. But that is an impossible command to keep unless we abide in Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. As Jesus has loved us, think about that. We are to love other people with a kind of generous, gracious, compassionate, merciful kind of love that we see Jesus giving to us. Now get ready to have your mind and heart exploded even further with what he says next. Jesus continues, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Listen to these incredible statements by Jesus. The first one would revolutionize our lives if we built our lives upon it. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, translates this verse this way. Just as much as the Father loved me, there, that is how much I have loved you. Make your home in this special love of mine and relax. If we want to live with greater confidence, with greater confidere, we need to learn how to relax into Jesus' unmeasurable love for us. Jesus invites us to make ourselves at home in his love. Jesus wants us to relax in this new home he has created. That invitation should overwhelm us. Do you know the feeling you have when you are really at home with someone else? I hope you do, or if you don't or haven't experienced that in a while, I hope you will know that feeling again soon. When you're in a home where you feel known and loved, there is a peace, a sense of security. There is an ability to relax when you're really at home with people you love and who love you. Jesus continues, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I find Leon Morris in his commentary on John to be very helpful with this difficult verse because it sounds a little bit like Jesus is saying that his love is conditional. It sounds like he's saying that the only way he will keep loving us is if we keep his command to love others as he loved us. If we think our keeping of his commands determines whether we can be at home in his love, then we're back in the land of the law and legalism, trying to earn our relationship with God. And we all know that is a hopeless place to be because we know none of us adequately keep the commands of Jesus. So what does he mean? It's not that Jesus stops loving us if we fail to keep his commands. It's that we experience the love he has for us when we do what he tells us to do. So what is Jesus commanding us to do? He spells out his central command in the verses that follow. Jesus says, my command is that you love each other as I have loved you. That's his command. We are to love others as he has loved us. Out of the huge reservoir of Christ's love for us, we can draw out the love that we need as we move out into our lives and love the people in our love-starved world. On our own, we don't have the resources. We need to obey this command to love others. But when we make our home in Christ's love, when we are at home with him, we have a well of love to draw upon. And we can draw upon the love that, God, that comes from God the Father, through God the Son, by God the Spirit. We can draw on that love that is for us and share it with the people in our lives. Jesus goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have from my, learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. I know I keep saying this, but this is another incredible thing that Jesus is saying to you and to me. You are my friends. Here we have the God of the universe who came to our troubled world as a human being to make us his friends. That is amazing. I'm going to say something that might surprise you, but here's something that Jesus knew from personal experience. There is nothing more important than friendship. Absolutely nothing. That is what Jesus is offering us. Friendship. And because we can have a friendship with God, we are then told to build friendships with others. This is my command, he says, love each other. That is a command to make friends. We need friends. Why do we need friends? I think the answer is also quite surprising. We need friends because in this respect, we are like God. The key to understanding our need for friendship can be found in an understanding of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Christians believe that we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here is one of the most remarkable assertions made by Christians. There was a friendship in existence before time began. From all eternity, before anything existed, there was friendship. That makes friendship the foundation of everything. Even though the doctrine of the Trinity is very difficult to understand, without the doctrine of the Trinity, the human experience doesn't really make sense. For many, the Trinity is a hopeless puzzle. Three is not equal to one, and one is not the same thing as three. Many of our good Jewish and Muslim friends have concluded that Christians must believe in three gods, not one. There are some in the Christian church who believe that we should abandon the impossible arithmetic of the Trinity. Not me. The friendship between Father, Son, and Spirit is the key to understanding our lives. Some of you may think it dishonors the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit to refer to it as a friendship. Not me. And not Jesus. If you think that, then I think maybe your understanding of friendship might be too low. We were created for friendship. Loneliness is a terrible thing. Solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments that can be exacted on a person. Over the past year, the restrictions brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic have resulted in, for many, a terribly lonely season. People have been isolated from one another. Grandparents have not been able to visit their grandchildren. Single people have been isolated in their own homes. In-person gatherings have been restricted for good reason. As we've begun to gather again on Sundays, it's been really fun to see people's reaction to being back together, even with masks on, as we worship God 10 feet apart. Zoom has been a tremendous gift to our church. People have been able to stay connected to one another by being a part of groups and classes that have met online. But there is nothing quite like being physically present with other people. In the opening chapters of the Bible, we learn that the first human being was alone and lonely. God looked at that first man and said that it was not good for him to be alone. Here's what's really surprising to me. Adam was not lonely 
because he had sinned or because of brokenness. This was before the fall. He was lonely because he was made perfect in the image of God. Loneliness is a problem that arises not out of our imperfection, but out of our perfection. Because Adam was created in the image of God, he was lonely. We get lonely because we're like God. We need a friendship with God most of all, but friendship with God is not enough. Adam had an unbroken friendship with God in the Garden of Eden. And still God said that it was not good that he was alone. We need both human friendship and we also need a friendship with God. It's true that no human being can meet our ultimate need for friendship. But nevertheless, we need other friends in our life. So God creates a woman, a friend, who will become Adam's wife. A friendship with God is what we fundamentally need. So Jesus said to his disciples, I call you friends. Friendship with God is available to anyone in the world. And it's been my experience that I need a growing friendship with God to be able to develop really good friendships with others. And it is also true that my friendships with others can help me grow my relationship with God. Tim Keller once said, in the way that only Tim Keller can, the less you need friends, the less you are like God. That's quite a statement. The less you need friends, the less you are like God. Christianity is a religion of friendship. We don't just get the words of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Jesus himself comes to us and offers us his friendship. We are offered a personal connection with a living person. Friendship is what's at the heart of the universe. We were made for friendship with God and with others. Because you know what? Friendship, good, healthy, mutual, loving friendships have the potential to transform us and heal the busted up places in our lives. Father Greg Boyle, the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, knows the power of friendship in a person's life. He has worked with men and women in one of the toughest areas of Los Angeles. He knows that people can change when they experience both the love of God and the love of other people. As I close, I want uh, to listen to Father Greg tell the story of a young man by the name of Johnny. His life began to change as he experienced friendship. Here's an excerpt from Father Greg's book, Barking to the Choir. I'll admit there are some homies you look at and think to yourself, yeah, I'm not so sure this guy will ever be able to turn the ship around. You don't admit this to anyone, though. You keep it to yourself and hope that everyone, anyone, can alter course. People always surprise you. Johnny was such a kid. I met him when he was 15, but never in my office. He never wanted to be seen there. I'd catch him in the alley where his homies would gather. He was way tougher than someone his age ought to be. He had certainly put in work for his neighborhood, stuff that eventually landed him in juvenile hall, then probation camp, then youth authority, and finally prison. He walked out of there at 20 years old, yet still refused to set foot into homeboy. But it takes what it takes. Johnny found himself tending to his mother, who was struck with pancreatic cancer. 
in the last six months of her life, I'd visit and watch how tenderly Johnny would attend to her every need. When she died, I buried her. A week later, Johnny walked into Homeboy Industries. Four months into his stay with us as a trainee, he wanders into my office to talk. What happened to me yesterday, he begins, has never happened to me in my life. He tells me that he was riding the LA Metro Gold Line train, which he caught at the Chinatown station, heading east after his day's work. Standing in front of him, hanging on the pole, was a gang member, a little older than Johnny, but with tattoos and medio pedo, a little bit drunk. Johnny was wearing a homeboy t-shirt with the insignia and slogan, Jobs Not Jails. The homie, still a little wobbly, looked closely at the shirt, then at Johnny. You work there? He asked. Johnny, initially hesitant to engage the guy, nodded. It any good? The guy fired back. Not belligerent, just persistent. Johnny shrugged. Well, it's helped me. I don't think I'll ever go back to prison because of this place, tapping the front of his shirt as he said it. He fished a clean piece of paper from his pocket and located a pen from another. He wrote down the homeboy address. He tells me, I couldn't believe I knew it by heart. Johnny handed the note to the man. Come see us, he said. We'll help you. The guy hanging on the pole studied the piece of paper. Thank you, he quietly replied. The train arrived at its next stop and the guy got off. Johnny reclaimed his seat and looked around the train. What happens next, he tells me, has never happened to me in my whole life. Everyone on the train was looking at me. Everyone on the train was nodding at me. Everyone on the train was smiling at me. His lip trembles and a tear escapes and for the first time in my life I felt admired that's the power of friendship friendship with God and friendship with others if you'd like to join a group that's listening to Father Greg's book contact Hawaiian Islands Ministries they've just started a new group reading that book you see Johnny was a young man who had climbed to the headwaters of his soul and had begun, with the help of others, to clear away the debris. Johnny discovered the stream that fed his own life and touched the lives of others. Johnny discovered, with the help of others, that he had a soul that needed keeping. And with God's help and his new friends, he began to become the keeper of his soul. And that transformation was all the result of friendship. What about you and me? Is it time to climb to the headwaters of our souls and begin to be the keeper of our souls once again or for the first time? If it is, I think when you make that hike, you're going to find Jesus there and hopefully some other friends who can help you clear away the debris. Let's pray together. God, we are so amazed that you have offered us friendship. And there maybe there's someone here that is listening uh, to me today that um, 
want to say yes to that offer of friendship. And you can do that right now. If you hear God speaking to you and saying, I want to be your friend. And you can say, thank you, Lord, for offering to be my friend. I'm really sorry for the way that I have lived my life just for myself. Forgive me. I'm so grateful for the fact that you have forgiven me and that I can live with you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and call me into the life and work and ministry that you are calling me to live. Thank you for making me your friend. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week for online worship. If you'd like to meet with others right now, live on Zoom, just click on the Connect Group button in the chat area. And now receive this blessing. Now to God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We love you. Have a great week. Aloha. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves us. We are called to share this special bond of friendship with others. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In-person worship has resumed, but in limited capacity. If you'd like to participate, you'll need to sign up through the website on a weekly basis. In the meantime, we continue to stream the entire service online on the church websites, Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.11 and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. The websites are fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and registration for in-person worship. If you have any questions or needs, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.